Welcome to Two Vets Chewing the Fat. Two Vets acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that this podcast is recorded on. Animal health has become overcomplicated. We want to help you navigate through the reams of misinformation and empower you to take charge of your animal's health to live happier, healthier and longer lives. Join Dr Ash and Dr Sina getting together and sharing decades of experience as veterinarians, answering your questions, debunking myths and unveiling the secret world of vet. All the while having a laugh, chewing the fat. And don't forget to always seek the advice of your pet's veterinarian as advice given here is of a general nature and does not replace a physical examination. Hi guys, welcome to podcast number eight, talking about anal glands and other unsocial things that we do as vets. And whoa, what a fascination there is about some of the things that we do in our job, Ash. Um, Mm -hmm. And the truth is we do stick fingers up butts. Regularly. Yeah, regularly. (laughs) On a daily basis, I'd say. Uh, I guess it's really lucky that we've got little fingers. Yeah. I've seen some big hands on some of those male vets. I know. You feel for those little cats and dogs, don't you, when you see hands like that? Sure do. Um, Um, But I I still remember I had a mentor once that said to me, now there's only two reasons that you don't do a rectal exam in an animal. First one, you've got no finger. And the second, they've got no butt. Oh, wise words, that's for sure. Oh, and never mind just the butts, you know, penises, vulvas, you name it. There's plenty to make people uncomfortable in the consult room. Not us, of course, but... No, exactly. We're, we're kind of, it's just another body part yeah. to us. We get lots of giggles um, in the consult room, sometimes from the kids, but often from the adults as well. Um but the animals, they're really good sports about it, aren't they? Mostly. Yeah, mostly. Pretty, mostly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, considering, all things considered, pretty know. good sports about it. And then we have the large animal vets, and which I've done a long time in the past, mm. where you actually go the full arm. So mm. you're pretty much, not just your finger, you're right up to your armpit. Yeah. Um, most commonly, I guess the one that most people will be aware of is the pregnancy testing in, in cows, and that's all done by feel. You've got to get your arm right up there to the ovary to be able to tell whether um, you've got a positive pregnancy. And some of those vets, they do hundreds per day. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Really, really busy and tired little arms by the end of it. Mm, sure is. So, Ash, why do we have to go there? What is the importance of that finger up the butt or arm? Well, you know, thankfully for our little ones, it's just the finger, but anal glands, of course, we've previously touched on their function and and why animals have them, but, you know, disease states that occur really are no laughing matter, even though, you know, it's sometimes fun to have a giggle, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not looking, you're missing things like painful abscesses. Aren't they sore? Oh, they're so sore, really sore. So you couldn't even begin to imagine. I mean, there might be something in the dad there, but really and, not Yeah, and I guess, you know, if you've got an abscess and your butt hurts so much, you're not going to be shitting. No. Yeah. Poor little dears. Then there's adenocarcinomas, um, obstructed or blocked uh, glands, and um, in particular with those uh, cancers, they really are very advanced, unfortunately, by the time we feel them. And if you're not up there having a feel, then it's even later. 
Exactly. So I think the stats say that, you know, by the time most people have palpated uh, adenocarcinoma or it's been diagnosed, you've got about a three-month survival rate, which is pretty terrible. Yeah. So figure up the date is definitely worthwhile. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, for those animals that do have regular anal gland issues, we do offer to teach people how to express the glands because they could be in as frequently as once a month, um, every few months, etc. Um, and that offers often politely declined, <laughs> which is no surprise given that there's a lot of people that don't want to cross that line with their dog. Um, but, you know, the offer's always there. It is a line to cross. It is a line to cross. And once you cross it, you can't yeah, go so back. Fair enough. <laughs> Thankfully, cats don't often get anal gland issues, so um, yeah, owners don't really need to worry about that. And I don't yeah. offer that at home for cat owners for no, obvious those reasons. that do. Oh my mm. god, they're, they're bad. They're poor little bums. Yeah, too. Yeah. They're poor little bums. Yes. So, so there's some other things that you can feel too, isn't there? Seems on rectal exam. Yeah, absolutely. So sitting underneath the anus is the urethra. So if you've got um, urethral issues, which is the tube that goes from the um, bladder where your urine empties out to, uh, what we call perianal masses. Uh, so they can be tumours and lumps in the area around the anus. <laughs> Rectal polyps, so mm. sometimes we'll get bleeding lesions or, or blood coming from the anus, <laughs> and you'll have sort of fleshy polyps that are sitting just inside the rectum. Uh, and that can come about, you know, from areas from too much straining and inflammation and things yeah. like that. And Absolutely. Or sometimes we don't know why. They just, yeah, just cause. Just cause. Mm. Uh, of course, prostate issues, which we'll touch on a little bit further. Uh, then, you know, fecal changes. So what's going on with the dog's feces? Mm. Are they bleeding? Do we have frank blood coming out? And Or is the feces black and tarry? So that Mm. could indicate things like um, intestinal bleeding higher up the gastrointestinal tract. Even more serious. Mm, Absolutely. Or is it white and chalky? So have they been chewing on too many bones and could we have a constipated pet? And dogs being dogs will eat all sorts of stuff. Anything. Yeah. Um, As we found out only a couple of weeks ago with that dog that had a foreign body from eating all the hair. Yes. Of yep. the owner. Yeah. That was, that was weird. Really weird and quite disgusting. <laughs> um, yeah, so sometimes you'll find a lot of foreign matter sitting in the, in the rectum there. So hair, as Ash mentioned, bone spicules, grass, canbar, rocks. Yeah. Um, you know, scoria rock mm. is quite commonly with bladder dogs. Not terribly discerning are our little canine friends, are they? They can they yes, they can be a bit silly with the things they eat sometimes. I think we can give the cats the uh <laughs> you know, the point for brains in this area. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, and then other things. So sometimes if you have pets that are straining and particularly young pets, we can find things like congenital strictures. So essentially that means where the anus hasn't fully opened up and it's closed down. So we saw quite a few of those in some of the kittens that we were working with when mm-hmm. we were doing some um, work with Second Chance Animal Rescue. Yeah, we had them really young and so that's when we picked them up the most, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah, poor little buggers. From that two to two four to week age, yeah, mm-hmm. when they're starting to move a little bit more and their poos a little start to get a little bit more formed. Uh, and then there's pelvic abnormalities, uh, you know, even 
uh, pelvic knee ablations or cancers in the bone mm -hmm. and spinal cord pain in that area from the sacrum to the coccygeal or the tail mm -hmm. area, mm -hmm. you know, just pushing to, to the top of, of that exam, sort of when you're above and going down to the urethra, mm -hmm. you go up and you're pushing on the back of the spinal cord area. So that can be a real indicator of some, some issues in that area. Yeah. I mean, if you don't feel, you don't know. It's as simple as that. I mean, even just having to listen to all the things that we've reeled off there, you know, that could all be missed by avoiding um, a mildly uncomfortable um, dot exam. And, yeah. you know, we don't want to do that. And especially with our male um, dogs that uh, can get prostate disease, that can be really nasty, just like in humans. Absolutely. Um, and extremely painful. And, again, often just picked up in that... Um, that first examination and and often it needs a further workup with either ultrasound or CT to get to the true um, bottom of it but that swelling of the, the prostate could be anything from again a painful abscess or um, hyperplasia which is hormone based generally and uh, which is a swelling due to the, the testosterone um, cancer is also another possibility, mostly adenocarcinomas. And a lot of those things can be prevented by castrating uh, your dog at an appropriate age for the breed. And, you know, a lot of them are very hard to treat and take a lot of time to reverse the changes if it is treatable. That's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So just a little, little exam um, makes a big difference mm. getting onto things early yeah. if possible. Uh, I guess, you know, when we're thinking about sticking fingers up the butts, we're not only just thinking about dogs and cats, we see quite a few chickens. And so when we look at and examine a chicken, a chicken's pretty much got one hole for everything. So their little cloaca is where the eggs come out, so it's their reproductive tract, it's where they poop from, and it's where they pee from. So everything's coming out of one hole. It is super, super important to do a, a cloacal exam in a chicken, uh, mainly for that reason. But the things that you're going to pick up on are retained eggs, so a common problem, or abnormalities in their reproductive tract. So we see a lot of oviduct disease in particularly your high reproducing breeds of chickens, mm -hmm. so your eyes are browns in particular that have come from uh, X layers. Which is lovely that we have so many clients that give them, you know, a home and rescue them. But these chickens, unfortunately, they're genetically geared to have abnormally high laying and, and they get a lot of issues, don't they? But they do get a lot of issues, which is really sad because you think that you get this chicken and you can move it into your, um, you know, different environment and everything will be great. But as I said, they are bred to produce an extremely high number of eggs and over a short period of time, and then once they don't produce those eggs anymore, it invariably ends up with overduct disease and inflammation um, of the overduct, mm. uh, sometimes cancers, and we can get uh, what they call an egg peritonitis, mm. which is a very nasty, horrible, nasty disease. And they're not designed, unfortunately, to live a long time in any environment, let alone as a, as a household chicken. Which is hard, though, isn't it, for the owners and and to as a vet to be the the bearer of bad news that they've you know done the 
um, kind thing of saving this chicken and falling in love with it and the family has and, and then a lot of their diseases are um, expensive and unsurmountable. Yeah, and those reproductive ones that are that are predominantly, you know, not all of them are. There are other conditions that we do say too, but, you know, when when you know that you're essentially pushing shit uphill mm. to try and for a long-term fix, mm. it makes it tough. It does, it does. Um, so I guess there's a lot of other things that make us a bit squeamish as well. Not us. Well, not We're us. We're pretty That's tough. We can generally eat our lunch around just about anything. Well, this is true. <laughs> this is true. I mean, us as in the people, us the as people. a collective. <laughs> but maggots, I mean, we've got to go there. Maggots are Right. I know. I saw so, a lot of maggots growing up on the farm and maggots, of course, you know, um, in my first gig in Gawler, which was a bit rural as well, and yet we still see them in the city centre. Sure do. Where there's a fly, there's a maggot. That's sure. Yeah. Um, and nothing Hot, more. warm, moist, smelly slots. Moist. I love that word. It's yeah, good. It makes a lot of people uncomfortable, <laughs> which makes me laugh, which is why I say it as much as possible. <laughs> yeah. So, so, maggots, so what happens with maggots, Ash? Well, with the maggots, you know, the fly lays the egg. It turns into a larva that just is a writhing mess in uh, areas of decaying, you know, flesh and and infection and so on. And uh, it's there eating away at it and urine scold and, and rabbits. Um, we see rabbits. That's, that's our major one, isn't it? Major rabbits. One is yeah. um, that we see backyard rabbits that have urinary issues or diarrhoeas that haven't been cleaned up properly. And, you know, it really doesn't take long to go from, you know. Absolutely. I once saw a immaculately groomed samoid. Mm. came in to see me in the clinic once and the owner was just could not work out why her dog smelled mm. and this dog looked beautiful its coat was perfectly white nothing like you could not tell anything until we went near its back end and it was really tender essentially maggots had got right down to the skin area around the tail base and had started eating the skin around that tail base area and the fur on top still looked exactly perfect. So mm. there was probably a good inch or so sort of diameter of skin that had been eaten by maggots. I think it had started off with either a wound or it stayed moist mm. and the larvae got laid there. And it was, I mean, the woman was devastated mm. because, you know, and it's no one's fault. This is just... They're you know, hard to what find. Happens, what happens in life sometimes mm. when we're dealing with certain, you know, parasites and um, and we're also dealing with dogs that are outdoors in certain areas. So Yeah, so that's always um, an interesting one. I guess on to the next thing, which would be cat fight wounds and, you know... Those little uh, fangs can sure leave a, a real mark, and um, you know any any cat bite really needs to be seen. And if it's on yourself, you need to take yourself to the doctor as well, because the bacteria in a cat's mouth that's penetrated deep into the tissues by that long canine just makes for a perfect storm, doesn't it? Absolutely, we um, certainly dealt with some pretty juicy abscesses. Yes, yes, nothing like a good abscess. 
and they can really smell, which I love. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just insane. And they're gooey and messy. And you know what makes me feel even the best, I'm sure this is for you as well, is that once they, the pressure has been relieved, the cat feels like a million bucks. Yep. They're just so painful and feverish and sore prior to that. And you relieve it and it's like an a auto, yeah, automatic relax. But yeah, it's releasing the pressure mm. valve. So, you know, you've got this super tight ball of pus and mm. bacteria sitting in under the skin. Um, release it and it just bursts on out. Yeah. Yeah, they're awesome. good, aren't they? They're very rewarding. It's, you know, you feel like a million bucks once you've released that pressure for yeah. the poor cat. Uh, exactly. Now, this is the one that you didn't want to talk about. This no, no. I've handballed this one to Fina <laughs> because this is actually something that, yeah. This is, yeah. So you would have been here too. So when I was. we were studying pet science, one of the things that we actually had classes and we did as a group was learn how to masturbate dogs. Mm. So we would mm-hmm. go there and there'd be an entire male dog and we... A greyhound usually. Literally had <laughs> to uh, masturbate the dog mm. to collect a semen sample. Um, and then evaluate the semen sample. So, but the thing is, like, not only is this something that you do at university, this is something that you do do in practice. Mm. We don't do it a lot because we're no longer in a breeding clinic. We don't see a lot of lot of dog breeders. But if you want to get a semen sample from a dog, the best way to do it is by manual ejaculation. Mm. Uh, if you then have to inseminate a female dog, then you inseminate the female dog there. There are some dogs that just can't do it on their own. No. They need a hand. They need a hand. Literally. Literally <laughs> a handy. <laughs> and I guess... And uh, horses are no different there. Well, they? exactly. But what I would say is luckily for us, your large animals, so cows and horses, have electro-ejaculators. Mm-hmm. Um, and artificial vaginas mm. because things could get very messy. <laughs> oh, I think that pretty much sums it up for the listeners' scenes. And um, I hope you guys weren't eating or drinking. And we shall uh, see you later. Bye. If you'd like to get to know us more, have any feedback, questions, or any topics you'd like us to shoot the shit on, drop us a line. And if you've enjoyed listening, we'd appreciate you leave us a five-star review. Check out our socials and websites, drashlong.com.au and drthenacap.com.au. The website for Two Vets is coming soon, so keep an eye out. For all our Melbourneites, we'd love to see you at the Thornbury Veterinary Hospital and the Happy Dog Hub for all your veterinary grooming and wellness needs. See you later. Ciao.